This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the No Never podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and joining me this week are Natalie, Kevin and James to talk about another home win for Burnley Football Club, a victory of Crystal Palace at Turf Mall 3-2. Despite appearing like we were going to throw it away at one point, Natalie, a phenomenal result. <laughs> it's difficult to know where to start something that one up. Isn't it just? Um, what a roller coaster of emotions Saturday was. I don't think I've actually recovered from it yet, to be honest. It I'm was... not surprised. I know. It, well, it's like you say, it was just that balance of just a dream start, which then got even better to be 2-0 up at home within the first 15 minutes. It was just great. And and really, right up until the 60th minute mark, we were, I thought, massively in control of the game. And then all of a sudden, we got a little bit of deja vu at Turf Moor and, and um, Pardew made two very inspired substitutions. And it all just went horribly wrong before a classic Barnes euphoric moment right at the end. I loved it. It was so deja vu, wasn't it? I think everyone was remembering playing Palace in the Premier League last time when we went 2-0 up in the... That was the first half as well, I think. And then Pardew made tactical changes and Dash didn't respond and then Palace came back into it and won the game. But uh, it didn't go that way. Is, is that a sign of the, the, the difference in class and mental strength in the group this time, Kevin, that we didn't buckle even though at 2-all... Let's be honest, there was only one winner in that game at 2 all. There was, yeah, and I think I, I, I was talking to, to the guy next to me at the turf and I was saying, actually, I'd, I'd be delighted with a point um, as we were coming towards the end of the game. Um, I'm not sure I'm not, I'm not sure it's wise to, to draw too many com- comparisons between uh, this game and the, and the game when we played them two years ago. Um, obviously, two, two is a very different game. I think it's purely coincidental that they pulled it back after going uh, 2-0 down again. But, yeah, um, you, you, all you can do is, is praise our mental strength. I think um, we, yeah, we certainly suffered a little bit in the second half, but then to come back from that um, in such a fantastic way, uh, right at the end, right at the death, uh, was fantastic, particularly as 
um, you know, we, we've, we've had a couple of games earlier in the season where we threw, uh, threw the game away um, in right at the in injury time. So it's nice for us to do that two home games in a row for ourselves. Uh, obviously, a 90th minute uh, winner against uh, Everton and now a 94th minute winner uh, against Crystal Palace, which was which is fantastic. And also, I think just the way the way we won it as well, it was, De, I think, Demani's interception for which set up the move was absolutely phenomenal. It was, he... You know, Palace players were, you know, were really going for that win, but he then he just stepped up with such momentum, such meaning. Uh, played the ball for the Barnes, who then burst forwards with um, such energy, and then obviously uh, Gunmanson's uh, ball across was fantastic. So it was, I thought it was a really positive goal as well. Yeah, it was a uh, fa- Dean Marnie was absolutely fantastic considering he got booked early on as well. I think uh, he managed to rein in his tendency to go into mad tackles quite well. I'm sure we'll come on to Marnie and other individuals a bit later. Um, that's two games, two home games in a row, James, where Sean Dyche has made a look a bit silly with his decisions. We were complaining about Arfield being left on. He scored the win against Everton. And then he put Barnes on instead of Andre Gray, which we were certainly questioning at the time. And then Barnes goes and scores the winner in the last minute. Well, I think Broms is going to have to retire reverse psychology. <laughs> it's the Bird Smith reverse psychology. <laughs> we, are, we are clearly the masters of it. You're not having it, Bird. You can get your own feature. <laughs> there for all to see. We, we said that. No, 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 no. Nice try. Nice try. <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I, I sort of do still stand by what I was saying at the time. It did feel like, uh, you know, Barnes was the right choice when we still had the lead because you was, I was thinking at that point, straight swap sort of Volks off and Barnes on and you probably would have wanted someone who could hold the ball up, whereas Gray's more release it in the back um, sort of player. But then when, when you're level again and chasing the goal, obviously your gut instinct probably says Andre Gray's the better choice to have. Um, but I'm not going to complain that that Ashley Barnes, uh, you know, did the business. I think this happened with, with the Everton game. Someone said to me, oh, do you regret that? That I said Scott Arthur should have gone off. Well, no, not really, because at the time, you know, he looked at risk of being sent off. He wasn't having a particularly good game. Uh, I'm not annoyed that he then came up with a, a good moment to win it. I'm, I'm still a Burnley fan. Obviously, I'm pleased if a player sort of makes a difference. Yeah, It doesn't mean Don't I get... suddenly regret yeah, I think <laughs> don't get sidetracked is. from talking about Burnley, but there's a lot of that around us. I've got a lot of people looking to point score over things people have said on social media, rather than being happy that we've we've done a win. Um, but yeah, moving back to the, the game in hand, I think I think Gray probably scores that goal anyway. To be honest, like Gray's <laughs> quicker than Barnes. Gray would have led that counter, and they were so short at the back. I think once we got the ball through, I think it was fairly straightforward. Probably takes it on himself as well, to be probably, honest. Probably, probably. Um, you know, the only risk to it is maybe if he overthinks it, which we've seen maybe once or twice from Gray, where he can suddenly think, oh, I'm in here, and sort of stumble a little. But, you know, in a way, Barnes is quite lucky as well, because that first pass out to Goodmanson is actually rank. It's such a bad pass. He's overhit it. And Goodmanson, I think, it summed up his game. He did really well to get there. And he did quite a lot with it to say he'd been pushed out wider than he maybe would like to be. And the defender was coming in to close the angle. You know, he gets a great ball back in for Barnes to finish it. And even then, I think he makes it a little nervous because when he shapes up to hit that, you're all thinking, is he going to sky it? He didn't look balanced, didn't he? <laughs> like yeah. he might be going into the stand. 
it goes into the roof of the net, which is very nice to see after it's happened. But my nerves at the time might have just appreciated a soft side foot into the net. That's classic Barnes, though, isn't it? How many, how many goals does he score like that? Oh. He just likes to do it to you. It was very reminiscent to the Wigan goal, wasn't it? That was the open motion, the way it came in and Barnes slammed in. I was about to say it's after the same, Jamie. It's, it was such an Ashley Barnes goal. Even the, even the, you know, the, the ball breaking down the right, the crossing from the right, uh, and then the smashed it in. And what a, what a, it was a typical Ashley Barnes celebration as well. It looks like it's about to deck someone. It's just, <laughs> it always looks. It, I'd love to see. I'd love to see Ashley Barnes score a goal. Actually, look happy. <laughs> it just looks angry after every goal, but it, it was uh, however he wants. When he scores a goal, I don't care. On Barnes, though, I, it was great to see him score as well after so long out of injury. Yeah, also, we know, you know, players like you know how we know how long it took um, Sam Fawkes to get back to, to being himself after a long time out, and obviously it's don't want to get too too ahead of ourselves it's only this one goal but it's really 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 encouraging to see him come on I thought he had a very um in his time on the pitch he was he had some really nice touches he was obviously very effective um and hopefully that goal can be a big boost to his confidence as well and he can come on and and really have a big impact this season because he's going to be a key player for us he's definitely going to be an asset although I suppose it does mean Patrick Bamford gets bumped a bit further down the pecking order I'm sure that's something we'll talk about on Did you podcasts. not say last week, though, Jamie? Were you not made that point last week where you said that you felt that Barnes wasn't just going to be covered this week? He wasn't just going to come on as an impact sub. You felt he was going to be used tactically, and this this just proves that point, doesn't it? <laughs> I think that's the first time anyone on the podcast has ever pointed out how right I was. <laughs> I've got your back, Jamie. I've got I, your I back. think he'll start games eventually. I think it'll be a a different option for Dice, but I still thought Gray was going to be the one to come on. On the pass, actually, I read one comment from. Um, Steve, who's been on the podcast before, he was talking about how the pass was actually weighted perfectly because Goodmanson was then able to bend the pass around the defender. Um, I think that was maybe giving Barnes a bit too much credit. It definitely looks over hit to me. I think Goodmanson probably rescued it and made it look a better pass than it was. That is definitely looking for positives. If if the pass had less weight on it, Goodmanson would have just played it in earlier and then Barnes would have ran onto it and finished it. I think I think Goodmanson had that on a couple of occasions actually. There's quite a few occasions where he was actually delivered. He was given quite poor balls, and he, every single time he rescued it really well, which I think is 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 really fantastic to see from him as well. And he was by far his. We've, we've talked a few times about how he's been getting better and better and better every match, and this was just a, a phenomenal performance from from Goodmanson. I thought. He was certainly the the best player on the pitch for me. Involvement in all three goals. Goodmanson was involved in the first one as well. Obviously scored the second one himself. That's all. Been, really, is that's all that's been lacking from his game is some like tangible end products. He's been getting balls into the box and having shots, and it's it's all been a bit nearly from Goodmanson until Saturday. But I think he's really stepped up last few weeks I'm excited to see if he can maintain that level of performance I think he's been a real asset um, coming on to the game generally though Natalie another really rapid start from Burnley it seems like we've we've learned our lessons from early in the season Swansea at home on the opening day when we were very slow and wanted to stay in the game we now seem to understand that we have to be on the front foot at home and that was a key part in us taking a two goal lead yeah, absolutely. It definitely feels to me that there has been um, a shift in the balance of, of play in our recent games. Daesh has got them a lot more positive, a lot more attacking. And as you rightly said, they, they're not just coming out there and, and showing that they're you know, happy to sit back. And I, th- I feel like they've got a really nice balance at the moment. I think they're a team that's very comfortable off the ball. I don't think they feel the need to have possession all the time. And whilst that 
doesn't always go in your way and I think we'll probably go on to at some point the uh, prolonged periods of pressure that you subject yourself to when you play that style of football but on the flip side of them um, also being very very comfortable sorry off the ball they're showing a lot more attacking threat when they're on the ball and I was really pleased to see it I think we said last week that we thought that the United game had given them a huge boost of confidence along with some other good results recently. They look like a team at the moment that are really don't believe that they're going to go anywhere near the relegation zone and they're just playing with a lot more self-belief and a lot more confident and it that along with the increased tactical awareness that they need to do to survive in this league may just work. Yeah, up to ninth in the Premier League of course which I think is giving everyone um a bit of vertigo maybe from being so high in the league I'm sure everyone would have been delighted to take ninth um, at this stage Kevin it was a strange game in some ways in that both teams seemed to threaten a lot more on the counter attack our goals came on rapid breaks the second one in particular was a incisive break the Palace goals were both scored on the break I think it felt like a game where pace on the counter was always going to be crucial and it's probably apt that that's what won it at the end. Yeah, I think um, the goals were all from that, that quick, quick burst forward. Obviously, both um, all of our goals came from getting the ball forward very quickly. And I think Palace's pressure as well, which they put us under a lot of pressure in the second half, was certainly a, uh, at least a 30-minute period when we were very just completely relentless against us. And that was all built on their, their pace, pace going forward as well, which is, we've really struggled to, to handle. Um, but I think that, yeah, Sean Dyson after the match, that it was two two teams going to win the match. Um, Palace weren't really at in the first half, but in the second half, they really went for it. Obviously, we, we've talked about how Burnley um, were, were very keen to get forward and score goals as well. So actually, I think even as a... Although um, the, the second half wasn't particularly comfortable to watch at the time... Um, it was it was a fantastic match to watch, and particularly as a neutral, without having to endure that the, the discomfort that second half gave. It must have been absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it was, it was certainly a case that both teams were doing everything to win it. You just don't see that in the Premier League very often. So, fantastic game to watch by that token. Although very stressful <laughs> as a as a Burnley fan, um, certainly large periods of the second half, James, we were under a lot of pressure. Uh, do you think it's just natural for a team that's 2 0 down to throw caution to the end a bit more, or were we a bit too defensive trying to sit sit too deep at times? Why, why do you think there was such a turnaround in that second half? I think really us missing chances was um, you know a really big part of it. We had a couple of couple of chances. I mean, Vox himself probably had another two. There's the one on the edge of the box, which maybe is a half chance. He does make it himself, but obviously the ball over the top from our field. I think he takes himself a bit too wide and if he comes inside he probably has the beating of the keeper. And I think when you're the you know, the team who's two down, seeing uh, the team who are in the ascendancy miss chances like those where you know, they were pretty good opportunities to really put Palace away, it sort of gives you a bit more heart to come back and um the subs obviously changed the game. I think they they started going at us a little bit more and obviously they, they get down the right well, they get a cross in and you know, Wickham shot, there's nothing that Heaton can do. And I think before that, they played some good football at times. Obviously, Heaton made a big save before uh, the good Goodmanson goal in the first half. And I think showing that he could be beaten on the day, uh, I think, was key for them. And obviously, the to get a penalty was maybe a little bit of a gift to let him back in. Uh, but from that point on, really, after the first goal, it was all Palace. And, uh, you know, 
I think we all felt like we'd lost the game as soon as they equalised in the penalty. But then, as we've we've already talked about, the mental strength to come back and then get the winner right at the end, I think is a real indication that we we feel like we belong this time, which is a long wasted really after the the two relegations we've had. When I don't feel like we've ever really settled as a Premier League team, whereas at the moment we are looking like we are Premier League side, which is extremely positive. No, there's a real never say die attitude, and even though it was you know backs to the wall defended. Um, you know, we got we got an opportunity to hit them on the break, and you know, Goodmanson obviously Barnes is pretty fresh leg, so breaking for him wasn't too bad. But Goodmanson, he you know he had the full ninety in his legs. He must have been digging quite deep to sort of go on the break and, and get the overlap. And um, I think that's the fight you need to you need to show to stay up in this league. Absolutely. Coming back to um, team selection, then we talked about. Gray being available, whether it be back to four five one, and it was back to four five one. Natalie Gray on the bench, unused. In the end, we surprised when you saw the team sheet. Defoe back in the midfield. Um, I'm not sure I was to be honest, and I, I think that's probably what I expected him to do. I think Dice as loyal as he is, and as um. I guess concern that he will be as to having to leave Andre out of the side. He's seen in his um, spell of absence how effective that four-five-one formation with Defoe running that midfield has been. And for me, against a side at Turf Moor who we should be looking to beat if we have aspirations of staying in this league, I don't think he had any choice. I think if he'd have reverted to a four-four-two um, and it hadn't have paid off, I think he would have quite rightly faced a little bit of criticism maybe and it would have been three an opportunity to get three valuable points missed at Turf Moor. So I'm I'm not surprised that he did it and I think it was the right thing to do. Um Andre's got a lot of work to do this season. He's gonna to have to fight his way back into this side. Um I don't know how he's gonna do it and I don't know whether or not there is scope at any point for us to change back formation again or even just try something a little bit different but he's got a selection process on it uh, sorry a selection problem on his hands as Dutch and it'll be really interesting to see how he man manages Andre now and, and just keeps him sharp and keeps him hungry when he's potentially not going to get an extended run in the side yeah I agree I, I, right now I'm not really sure where, where Gray fits into the team um, because that four-five-one is, is is obviously being so effective, it, it'd be a big call to 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 move away from that on a permanent basis. Now, obviously, he went back to that United, uh, but if if he, he's, he, I don't know how Dyke can can go back to to four-four-two unless we start having a, a bad uh, you know a bad spell of games with five in the middle. Um, so it's, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see how that how that develops. But also on the flip side, it's fantastic that you know I, I'm not I'm I'm certainly not going to say we've got strength in depth because I don't think we have, but we have got options now to change the system and do different things. We've now seen Dice play two different formations out of choice in two different games, um, which is not it's never been the case before. I think you can probably count the the number of times you can probably count the number of times Dice has changed the system on half a hand in his in his four years at the club. Um so it's fantastic. So we've I think one it's it's good that we've got the the options to do that. <laughs> but two, it's fantastic that Dice has now got the flexibility to do that because that's something we've criticized him for in the past. He's not having that flexibility and you know being stuck in his ways a little bit. 
which has been fantastic in some ways. Our consistency has been really good for us. But we've, you know, there are occasions, particularly in the Premier League, when there's very different demands where I think changing it up is, is going to be very effective. I think Dyche has said a few times this season that he has, he's learnt um, from, from the last time in the Premier League, the players have learnt. I think this is a real big indication of that. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I still think we will go to the 4 4 2 for some games. Weirdly, we might play four four two away and four five one at home. That might end up being the plan, but yeah, certainly one to to keep an eye on. Though I I agree. I think Gray's Gray's going to be the one who gets left out a lot of the time, and I don't think many people would have called that at the start of the season. There were people saying Hendrik might be the one to sit on the bench. This time. I was like, we don't want to leave a ten million pound player on the bench. It's certainly options. I think it's there also... is a bit of depth there. It's also interesting that you know when Bar- when Gray got his suspension, there were so many people saying you know this is going to relegate us, and if, if if you know if this relegates us, then you know the FA have got so much transfer, this is going to end our conspiracy. season. But now, but actually, though now he's back and actually he can't he can't get in the team, so you know you could almost say that um, his suspension has been almost a blessing in disguise, but it's given us the opportunity to change our system, which has been so effective. I don't know if I go that far. I think we've we've managed it. No, I I agree with Kevin. I think that's a great point. I think this has been, I think this suspension has been a turning point of our season because when else would Deitch have tried this? It was forced upon him. He was never going to do it. And look, look at it now. Look at the the change in this team. I'm, I'm with Kev. Um, The other player who came into the team, James John Flanagan, deputising as expected for Stephen Ward, who was injured. How do you think he got on? Maybe a little bit of fault for the second. no, the first goal, the Palace first goal, dived in a bit on Zaha, but player of that pace, you're going to get beaten by him sometimes, aren't you? Yeah, mate, I think obviously Zaha had a great game. He was, he was giving uh, both Lawton and Flanagan a lot of problems, you know, switching wings regularly, which I think always makes it difficult as well for the full-back when you know, there's no consistency and the, the pace keeps changing for them because they, they're marking someone different. Um, I thought he had a really mixed game. Um, he, he kind of dived in quite a lot, and looked like he had no control over what he was doing and somehow won the ball. Um, it was quite strange to see. He sort of would stampede into the middle of the park and He does the have ball. quite a, a distinctive tackling style. I think that's one of the things that endeared him so much to Liverpool. For obviously, he's local, so they've got that connection anyway. But he certainly throws himself into challenges and you don't often see a lot of defenders doing that these days. Yeah, because he picked up a booking that was for... One of the oddest challenges I've ever... I'm not sure I've ever seen anyone attempt to to challenge someone like that. And it clearly didn't work out the way he planned. Um, but I thought he had an interesting game. I think he maybe needs a little bit of time to bed into the side. But, you know, apart from the first goal, I, I don't think he really did anything that was blindingly um, bad. Or, you you know, you looked at him and thought, he's a liability, he's going to cost us games. Um, but, yeah, maybe he just needs to bed in a little yeah, I agree with that. I think he, he certainly didn't do anything particularly wrong. I, I, I didn't feel completely safe with him. I think there was a few occasions where he looked um, out of position, um, maybe a, a little bit shaky on, on that front. And I think I, I still think he would be better placed. I know he played um, on the left when, when Liverpool um, came so close to, to winning the league, but I still think he looks he looks like a right-back playing at left-back for me, um, which was probably potentially plays into that position in uh, a little bit. Um but that said, you know, I think he, he certainly has some some decent uh, some decent um moments in the game and considering how little football is played in the last um last year or so. Um and actually you know Dice mentioned actually uh, 
this week. Actually, very little football has played in his career. He's only got forty odd games behind him in his in his in his whole career so far. So he's still learning himself. So he's still a very young player. So hopefully, if he can um, get a running aside and, and really get get a bit of momentum and get into a regular rhythm, we can really see the best of him. There were certainly a few moments where it looked like he was um, perhaps overly reliant on the right foot, but I don't know if you'd notice that so much if it wasn't that he was obviously a right-back playing on the left. But on the flip side, it was a, a very good ball into Volks for Goodmanson's goal. Such a good ball that even after watching multiple replays of it, I was convinced it was Stephen Defoe, which I think is just because everything that good happens on the pitch... I just assume he's Stephen Defoe because it's such a ridiculous play. He's been so good, but I barely even mentioned him on the podcast today, Nasley, because the standard we expect from him is, is so sky high. Yeah, that's true. And I, I do think that we need to be very careful not just to, to start letting that be the norm and not appreciating the quality he brings to the side. For me, I think it's the effect that he has on the rest of the players that's um, really important. The side just looks different when he's in it and everybody seems to raise their game. I think both Marnie and Goodmanson both play superior football when Defoe's in the side and it just gives everybody that lift and it just it changes the formation and it changes the attitudes and we're a Look, we look a lot classier and we look like a much more attacking threat. Um, and I also love how calm he is as well. I mean, he's, he seems to be the master of just standing still. There were so many times on Saturday and there was a brilliant one. I can't remember which Palace player it was, but it'd been fouled and the, the Palace player was trying to get the ball off him and he literally just stood still and put his foot on the ball and he was just eyeballing this Palace de- defender and he, he got the free kick and he just looked at him. It was like he was just saying, like, like, no, this is my ball, go away. And he's just, he's so calm and he's so collected and I, it, I just, I'm running out of like compliments to give this guy because he's just the greatest. He's supreme. I think one of the the, the key things about Defoe is the speed he moves the ball. Um, now, I was a massive fan of Dave Jones and anyone who's ever listened to the podcast will know that, but it's not something you could say about Jones. Jones was quite slow on the ball. He'd keep the ball, but he's quite slow and it did sometimes take the speed out of our attacks. There's no way we would counter at pace the way we do now if Jones was still in the team, because he wasn't that sort of player. Defoe adds a bit more zip, a bit more direct, and he really nips the ball about it. And I think that's why it brings more out of players like Goodmanson. You want the ball into your feet quickly. You want to be able to move. And I think that's what Defoe does to, to really elevate us. But I think you're right, we need to appreciate him, because we can't just um, expect him to be that amazing all the time. I'm sure he will have bad games at some point. Maybe one day. <laughs> Won't hold my breath for that one. But yeah, huge fan, huge fan of Stephen Defoe. Um, Goodmanson was the other impressive player, though. Kevin um, involvement in all three games, all three goals. Sorry, as we already mentioned, and as James said, the energy to still have, to still have it in his legs right at the end to support Barnes on that break, and then put the ball right on a plate for him. It looks like an absolute bargain, doesn't he, to pick him up for a couple million. Uh, absolutely, yeah. He's. Um, I think he's a very. I think he's a, he's a very underrated player. Actually, I think he's, he slips under the radar a little bit. I think some of his performances have have been more effective and more due of praise than he's probably got. And yeah, I think I said earlier in the podcast we've said that every game he's been getting better and better. Obviously, he started the season out of the side. He then came into the side and looked, you know, solid enough, but 
not particularly too much to, to shout about. And every game has been adding more and more. He's been getting more and more into, into games as well, as well. Because I think earlier in the season, he wasn't um, ha- getting on the ball as much as you'd like him to. Uh, but every game, I think, is, is getting to see more of the ball and impacting the game a lot more, being more creative. And like you said, we, he's now, we've now seen that direct end product that is resulting in goals, which obviously was that, that standout thing from last season. But being a, a part of a, a, a relegated team, a team as bad as Charlton were, but still being, was it the, the, the top more, more assists than anyone else in the league? I don't know if it was the top, um, but he had like something like 11 assists and, and six goals. So in terms of raw numbers, his statistics were as good as any creative player in the league. Yeah, so we know that you know, play, even playing in a in a poor team, he's he can create goals, and that's the only thing that I've been lacking so far. And obviously, he's made up for that um, of a weekend. Like I say, we're being involved in all three goals, and also not just being involved, having very big contributions to all three goals as well. Yeah, I think um, while we're talking about players who are underappreciated, we've not even really mentioned him, but. Sam Volts now three goals in four games, I think it is. Not always the most classy finishes. It was a bit untidy on Saturday, but the alertness to, to be on the spot and good reactions to, to poke Sam in. Sam always think plays like that, Jamie. <laughs> You're slightly biased <laughs> observer on Sam Volts. And that ball that ball through for Goodmanson's goal as well was that was just Oh, that pass that was, was beautiful. Sublime. Yeah. It reminded me of the days when he had that amazing partnership with Danny Ings and he used to just put through balls to him because he knew where he was going and it was it reminiscent of that really. He, he played so well. But he does need to get more ruthless in front of goal. He could have literally scored a hat-trick on Saturday to good Sam and there were a couple of chances that he really should have done better with. So as much as I love you, Sam, I'm going to be harsh with you now. You need to you need to get your striking boots a little bit more clinical. I think I think I think Volks in front of goal is very good at the reactive stuff. He's very good at being in the right place at the right time. And I think pretty much all his goals this season have been because of that. But I think the more proactive stuff is where the likes of um, Andre Gray is a lot more effective. And Volks. I think you saw when he, when that ball came in for him at the start of the second half and he had acres of space and acres of time, it's almost like he didn't know what to do. He probably um, didn't. I, I said this to someone the other day. I don't remember Volks ever being played in behind about four. No. He's not known as the quick. He's not slow, well, but he's I not re- known as the I quickest. I've never seen him do that. Do you not remember him get one-on-one with the goalkeeper at MK Dons and the keeper just, I don't even know what he's trying to do. And he basically gives Volks the whole net. Was that the one we won 5-0? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know and I'm the, their defence was absolutely shambolic. Yeah, I don't know if and that we, one counts because they were so trapped. Yeah, and when, so we, when that happened, we all said, when have you ever seen Sam Volk get one-on-one? <laughs> that was the one of the time in his, what, three, four years at the club. I think it's just as simple as he, he took the ball too wide and he gave himself a lot to do and he eventually cut back in. You know, He, he helped the keeper out by giving the keeper the angle. Yeah. I'm not sure yeah. the keeper... He looked like he was looking for support as well. He was a bit he hesitant. Was, it looked like he really yeah. wanted someone to be really he needed to cut in as soon as he got the ball and just Gray would have hit it well before he got near the situation. Yeah, shot. you're right, James. He did well though, don't you think? I think he, he his feet were a lot quicker than I think I'm used to his feet being when he, um, he took the first shot and he reacted very very quickly with his right foot to try and get it past the keeper and he, he very nearly worked. I think if if it had just been that literally one step further out, he would have got it round him. It was but, a good yeah, double agree, save James. to be fair. I mean, considering yeah, I, what a rick Mandanda made for for the Gunmanson goal, I think he did really well on the Volts chance. I think I think from where he ended up shooting, he didn't actually do anything wrong. There was nothing different he could have done about his effort. It was on just goal. the position he was in. It was yeah. earlier on he should have 
he should have come inside. But you know, it's done by that point, and he's, he's he is where he is on the pitch. And uh, obviously, the keeper, yeah, he he's got the angle on his side, but he makes two good stops. So don't think you could take it away from him. One one last thing to pick up on on the game itself. Um, I was watching the game in the office. I'd the stream on and the atmosphere sounded absolutely fantastic especially from the the cricket field Natalie I don't know what it was like at the surf itself but I, I did see a video where it looked like there was fans almost rushing the palace section at the end which seemed a bit odd uh, I don't recall seeing that I mean it was a really good atmosphere and I think fans at the moment are enjoying the football and I think they're enjoying the fact that it isn't as depressing a, a relegation dogfight that we thought we were going to be in that we're actually competing and we're playing some good football and we've got some creativity in that side that's showing pockets of really attractive exciting football so the, the atmosphere at the turf is getting better the crowds are a little bit uh, more just because Premier League football attracts more people um, I think it went understandably down a little bit after Palace scored their first goal. It felt very much like we knew what was coming. Um, and I think just because the, the change in formation and the very early goal, I think that very much muted celebrations. But to, to the credit, when even when it went to 2-2, um, the fans, they, that kind of list, lifted the Burnley fans and they really got behind the, them and, and willed them on to, to go for that, that counter-attack and get the winning goal. So, yeah, definite, definite improvement at turf. And I think it's going to be really, really important. And that sounds terribly cliche, doesn't it, that we need the fans behind us. But it, it's... Yeah, it is. If you know, a lot's been said in the media this week about Burnley's home form and how that's going to prove to be a platform for a survival um, push. And if we're going to make um, turf more difficult place to come to, especially in the winter months, with a lot of teams who won't fancy coming to turf more and the cold and the wet, and and you know, if we make it a, a hostile atmosphere as well, it's just going to help, surely. I can't. We always talk about the turf like it's north of the wall. <laughs> You're so true. <laughs> We do we, we do paint this picture of it being this horrible place to come to and now, you know, the players are gonna hate being there. And it's it's not, it's lovely. It's our little it's our little ground and it's full of charm. <laughs> can Manchester City do it on a cold November afternoon? No, they can't. <laughs> Twenty miles yeah, up the road. That, that was always the problem with the the Stoke thing, wasn't it? Stoke's pretty middle of the road as uh English stadiums go. It's you want to come to the It's turf, known for being probably, windy, isn't it? Stoke. Yeah, it'll probably more like Accrington Stanley or somewhere like that actually. Yeah, I think that's true. Let's move on from the game itself then and get on to everyone's favourite feature. It's over to Natalie for Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week. Indeed, we have a great tweet for this week's Tweet of the Week. And quite frankly, it could have only been about one man. This week's Tweet of the Week comes from Peter Watson, who says, Such a satisfying Barnes netbuster of a finish. So well done, Peter. That won our Tweet of the Week. That was quick. <laughs> I normally go off and make a brew when I know it's Natalie's <laughs> yeah, You told me to make this feature concise, Jamie. I'm obeying orders. <laughs> You're feeling okay. That might be shorter than the jingle. I know. I don't, I don't know what to do next. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally thrown. Well, it, it was a good tweet. And, it, you know, it's short. It's concise. We like it. Well done. Let's move on. <laughs> it's always going to be reasonably short. 140 characters, you know, and all. Moving on then. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sweet of the week, very brief on the podcast this week. Uh, going into the international break, then Burnley are uh, in the top half of the league, which I don't think anyone would have complained about at this point. You've got people talking, dreaming about European football, but the games coming up, Kevin, are quite testing our swells on paper. West Brom away, then City at home, and then Stoke away the next three games. But the form we're in, I don't suppose there's anything to fear from those teams. Yeah, can we do it on a cold winter, uh, December <laughs> afternoon in Stoke? <laughs> um, no, uh, I think, you know, West Brom, you know, we're going to go in there to bear in some confidence. And if we can do better than we did last time at West Brom, it'll be a, it'll be a, a positive. At least there's only four now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Man City at home, you know, we've um, it's, it's one of those free free hits where whatever happens, it's you, you're going to take it really. Obviously, you're going to come in to their expected defeat, but anything you can do, you know, we've shown we can get good results against the, the big teams at home so far this season. Even the you know away at Manchester United, and we've we uh, we've had some fantastic results against Man City recently uh, in the Premier League. Um, so there's, there's obviously you're not going to go in there saying we're, we're expecting a win, but. Some at the same time, we're not going to go out. We're going to go into that match without fear. Uh, there's going to be no pressure on us. Um, yeah, Stoke away. That's you know they've not had an outstanding season so far, should we say? So it was certainly winnable. Um, Bournemouth, Eddie Howe's return to, to Turf Moor, but they've been um, fantastic in some matches. But they've also been obviously they got beat by. They've suffered the, uh, the 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 glory of being the first team for Sunderland <laughs> to beat this season. Um, so obviously there, there's some fragility in that. West Ham again, they've been um, shaky at points this season. So you know there's some definitely some tough games coming up. But this, I, I don't think there's any. I'm looking at the next the, the fixtures for the next two months, and I don't think there's anything in there that we're going to go into with with any fear. I think that's that's the positive sign about winning games, isn't it? You get a bit of momentum and confidence improves, and everyone's a bit happier and. Previously, you'd probably think West Brom away, that's going to be really tough, but now everyone's up for it, and you think, yeah, we could get something there. Like West Brom aren't that good a side. They're hard to beat and tough to break down, and Deirdre has some set pieces, and Tony Pulis is very experienced, but their team on paper is not that much better than ours. I don't think we can be relatively confident in getting something there. Um, the bottom of the league, though, is very tight, Natalie. I think there's only four points or something between us and 17. I think that was right out of the table in front of me, and Sunderland finally won at the weekend. So we can't get too comfortable, can we? Just because we're in ninth at the moment. No, of, of course not. But I would much rather be in the position that we're in right now than away in Sunderland's position or any of those that are in the um, in those bottom three places and trying to get themselves out of it. Um, it's going to be a long season and, and we could not win another game from now to the end of the season or we could end up being mid-table or we could end up just scraping past 17th. It, it, I have no idea how this is going to go, but all we can do is... Oh, God, I'm going to sound like Dutch when I say this now, but we've just got to take one game at a time. <laughs> be reliable. <laughs> exactly. We should, play, should just play Dutch bingo, shouldn't we? And, and get, Actually, did you see his interview after the Palace game? We nearly had a full house. We had the, all, of his, um, all of his catchphrases were coming out. It was fantastic. But, yeah, I don't think anybody at the club will... Um, rest on the laurels and I think that I think the January transfer window will be important I will be amazed if we don't strengthen again because we've clearly got some money that we were about to spend in the um, summer transfer window which we didn't so I fully expect that that will be available again Um, and I think we're 
I think we've done enough this season where players who may not necessarily have given us the time of day before may actually be looking at it and thinking, you know what, they may stay up and I'm, I, I might want to come and sign for them. So I think it will be an easier January transfer window with this performance um, early season under our belt. So, yeah, message is let's not get complacent, let's not get too ecstatic, but I'm feeling really good about this season. Yeah, I'm the same. I mean, I remember saying at the start of the season that as it stood, I didn't think we had enough, but I think that was before we signed Stephen DeFore and before we started winning football matches. <laughs> so, um, yeah, at the moment, I'm very confident, more confident than I think I've ever been about us staying in the Premier League. Uh, now that we mentioned the, the transfer window there, James, and this is probably the, the last time we're going to get a chance with the international break to talk about it. There's some talk, I think, in the paper about Dale Stevens, who obviously we weren't for last time. Brighton are going quite well in the league, though. I suppose some more depth in midfield would be quite useful if we're going to play 4-5-1, just because James Tarkovsky, who's doing all right, is not ideal to be the first change when Defoe's legs start falling off at 65 minutes. It's weird, because normally we, we, we say at this point we could do with another striker, but at the moment we look like we've got strikers, you know, Flooding the, out the door. The inform Jukovic to come back in January potentially. Well, actually, I, I did see a news report earlier. He's kind of indicated there's yeah. there's a clause in yeah. his, his. He's never coming back. No. He's yeah. staying at Birmingham for sure. They're going to buy him. Ten million it pounds. Yeah, it could be made <laughs> in January. So. Yeah, it will be. Um, but that'll sort of seal off one striker not coming back. But we've still got plenty in and around the squad. Obviously, you've got to assume Chelsea will have Patrick Bamford back and. Uh, will be, you know, looked upon as not a great place to send your uh, young player you want to get some experience. Which might mean we do have to buy a, a central midfielder rather than look to the loan market. Um, I, I think it's got, got to be central midfielder, hasn't it? I'll cut a long story short, it's got to be a central midfielder. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'd, I'd be amazed if, if we're not already thinking about central midfielders because it's not like it's it's taking a bit of a punt at the moment. Like we're ninth in the league because Natalie says we can sell it to players a lot better than it's going to be a real scrap and in six months you might be in the championship. It's much more trying to get players in that's going to make yeah, the difference and just get us off the line. Strong position, etc. Um, and I'd really love to say that we're going to see like some new names in the frame, new people mentioned. We've got the, the same old... Lansbury. The same old... Everyone, oh, no... Right? And it'll no. be no Stevens. <laughs> you just know it's going to be on Henry Lansbury again. <laughs> and that's that. That is. Those are the two rooms we'll get. I can't um, do. I can't do another transfer window with him. I, I'll lose the will to live. If we sign anyone else, it'll be out of left field. It'll be like the person no one realised we were going to sign. A bit like Stephen Defoe kind of was. I mean, do you know, it's interesting you say that actually, Birdie. I, I expect us to go back into Europe again. I expect us to find another foreign player who's not as expensive, especially now we've got two that have... I mean, we've been a bit hit and miss, haven't we, in our international signings, but Defoe and Gunmanson are just showing that they're absolute steals. It wouldn't surprise me if we go back for somebody else. Yeah, we're trying to sign Grzycki on, on deadline day and I don't know if we'll go back in for him because of the personal circumstances around that deal that we talked about on the podcast at the time, but uh, Ren are going very well in League Earn, and I think Grzycki's been playing quite well for them, so um, it was not necessarily a bad target, is 
roundabout thing I'm trying to say about just 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 sit in the room and move off early is that what you're trying to do Smith? yeah I've, I've got shares in because <laughs> third party ownership I've got five percent stake oh, I don't really um Kevin what what business do you think we'll be looking to do I suppose we've also got to think now about holding on to players with Tom Heaton and Michael Keane in the England squad yeah absolutely um you know Tom Heaton and, uh, and Michael Keane is certainly agree on going to be on the radars of of other managers. Hopefully, I mean, I, I don't think you often you don't you rarely see um, goalkeepers signed um, signed mid season. Um, so I think if we if we are to lose Tom Heaton, it would be in the summer. Hopefully, we don't. Uh, Michael Keane could be could be slightly different. Um, that'll be that'll be interesting when January comes. He'll certainly be. I think his his name will certainly be be linked um, with other teams. Uh, whether there's something in it or not, but I think it's certainly going to be a, a nervy month uh, as a Burnley fan because his name is going to be in the media, um, and yeah. we're going to be wondering. I who, think on, you know, on Keane, though, I think what we've done very well uh, in the summer is made it very clear very early that he's not for sale. Now clubs might still make offers, but I think if you late, st- make your position very clear rather than being like, "Well, we'll see how it goes." I think that might think, put people off. Plus, the fee required to sign Michael Keane is going to be astronomical, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, I think. Do you know? I think his England call-up may be our saving grace as well. You know, he's made it very clear that he wants to play for England, and he's got um, designs to play a much higher level football. He's clever enough, and he's already shown this in his career in these early stages. He is not going to go and sit on somebody's bench um, and not get first-team football because he wants to push his way into the limelight. He wants to push his way into cementing that England um, squad place. So I think if he's got anything about him, I think he'll stay with us until at least the end of the season just to make sure he plays every single week, guaranteed. Yeah, I'm not too worried about Keane, to be honest, despite the fact that I... uh interrupted Kev there to, to bring it up um, carry on Kev sorry um, yeah but <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I think I think we said the other week I mean even, even when we do um, lose Keane I think we, we've still got uh, I think we've got um, Tarkovsky obviously we've not seen too much of him but from what I've seen of him I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't be too terrified about him coming in obviously we'd need to strengthen uh, behind Tarkovsky as well, um, but it's not the biggest concern in the world. I think, yeah, I think the, the central midfield is, is obviously the one because we 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 said okay, we've got decent numbers in there, but that's when we were playing four in the middle. So now we're we're almost like back to stage one again now. If we need that that further backup, we've got uh, Tarkovsky coming in in midfield as well now. Um, obviously, we've got Aidan O'Neill as well, but neither of those um, you want to be relying on too much. Obviously, if we get a couple of injuries, he's going to be playing Tarkovsky who is. Is, is, I think he's done a, a good job when he's coming in, in central midfield at the end of games uh, to show us up a little bit. But he's, he's, he's not a central midfielder. You don't want to be playing him in there in there too often for two reasons. One, because he's just not that, that sort of player. But also, you know, if you have gotten one nine on him being the next the replacement for Keane, then you don't want him to be focusing his game on adding midfield attributes to his game. You want him to be really focusing on making himself an excellent first-class defender. Um, and I think when you start to play players out of position uh, too much, it can hinder hinder their game. They almost start to become that kind of master of uh, many trades. Many tra- not master of them. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I can't of that. Jack this. of all trades, master of none. Is what master of one, yes. Um, yeah, the jack of all trades, master of none. And um, obviously, an Aidan O'Deal, again, he's shown some, some good quality. But 
you don't be going to be relying on him too much. One because he's he's unproven, but also two because like I think Dice has said that he doesn't want to be, he doesn't actually want him to be playing too much at this stage. I think he said he brought someone through previously at Watford and it was too early. Um, so there's both those options are there, but you don't want to be using him too much. So yeah, it'd, it'd be nice to to bring in a central midfield. I'd like some I'd like some more quality out wide as well. Um, Good Goodmanson has been fantastic, but Arfield's been been hit and miss. Um, Boyd has been uh, miss. So um, I'd like to Ooh. see some more. Wow, <laughs> that was <Heavy>. brutal. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think obviously Dice Dice obviously wanted to bring some an extra wide player in in the summer. Uh, it didn't quite happen right at the very end of deadline day. So that that's I'd, I'd expect us to be looking at another wide player as well. Yeah, it's it's going to be mopping up what we didn't quite get done uh, at the end of the summer. I think it's most likely, but. Honestly, I'd probably take right now if you offered me Stevens in and all our key players stay. I'd probably take that, just because I think it's it's really important that the squad doesn't get broken up. But I think we'll 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 stay firm even if offers get really silly for Michael Keane in particular. I think it would be a properly ridiculous offer that would get us to sell um, in January. It is a couple of weeks until. The next game, but we'll round off with predictions because I don't think there'll be a podcast over the international break unless something mad happens. Um, so West Brom away, a tricky game on paper, James, but the form we're in, are you confident that we can get something there? Yeah, I think you know so we're in a great run of form. Um, I think this might be one of those occasions though where you've picked up a few good results and, and maybe you want to continue the momentum. Um, and then you get an international break. And I just do worry a little bit that maybe it's going to throw us off. Um, but saying that, I don't think West Brom can be any worse than last time we went to West Brom in the Premier League. Um, I don't think I'm really sort of saying anything out of the ordinary there to, to say that. As long as, you know, obviously Reed's not getting a start in central midfield for us, it, it can't really be any worse. Uh so I think we'll win. I think we'll win 2-1. Interesting shout. I'd probably take a draw. I'd be quite happy with a, a one all. I think we're quite capable of getting that. Kevin, you're next. Yeah, I think we, we've we in some good form at the moment. We had a fantastic uh, result in our last away game, but I think we've also got to remember that um, other than the United game, we, we've been um, shaky at best away from home, shall we say. I thought you were going to say um, something else there. <laughs> well, that as well, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Family show, family dive. <laughs> yes, um, but um, I'm I'm going to go with a I'm going to go with a, a two a two all draw. We're going to score two goals, <laughs> which is usually what happens in a two all draw. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. That's that's really useful information. And lastly, Natalie. Well, well. I, I can't believe that we are, what, how many minutes are we in? About 45 minutes into this podcast and not one of you has given me any credit for my role in this turnaround this season. <laughs> it's just rude. <laughs> I, I can't. I thought, I thought, Natalie, I thought we'd established now, but it's, it's not. It's, it's transferred to James and Jamie. You're, 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 in fact, you're not you're... having it. You're not having it. It's mine. It works in the championship, but we just, it's just 
benched slightly, but we've got a new we've got a new trick in town and it's working. Um, obviously, the turnstile can't be done because we I, I can't go into a turnstile that I have no control over. But I am going to predict a very comfortable three nil once again win to Burnley and job done. Job done. Very very bold. Um, we'll leave it there then for this week's podcast. Like I say, international break, so probably won't be a podcast. So after the West Brom game, which is obviously the Monday night, so it'll be a bit later that week, I'm afraid. But please do tune in for that one. If you've got any feedback, questions, comments, etc., please get in touch. Gmail address is as always nonanever.net. Podcast at nonanever.net. Even that's just the web address. You can't email us that. That's not an email. Um, and you can also tweet us at net as well. We are still seeking a sponsor, so please get in touch through the same channels. If I'm getting such a lot of abuse on the others while I'm trying to do this outro, this is very, very rude. Um, but thanks to the panel for joining me, Kevin, Natalie, and James. It's been a shambolic end to the Nordic Never podcast, but thanks ever so much for listening. I've been Jamie Smith. Goodbye. Thanks for that. What's that all about? That was my harsh, Kevin. Money for that. Kev, I was just to say. Oh, he's gonna say. I was trying to treat. No, it was. It was. It was completely intended. I was trying to treat. I was. I was just trying to. I was trying to create an outtake. You don't create an outtake. You've already got your outtake. What's outtakes, Kev? Take that Smith laugh and put it into some sort of beat. Oh my god, do it. <laughs> yes. Yo. 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 I've been Jamie Smith. I've been Jamie Smith. I've been Jamie Smith. Goodbye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.